Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello, just letting you know this episode discusses topics of extreme violence. Some listeners might find this distressing. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. I've fought my whole life against bullies. You know, as a kid, I couldn't do anything about it. But as I, as I grew up, I was able to do something physically. I've seen your whole journey from, from K1 to Pride to fucking UFC. Oh, the first time I was homeless, I was eight. I'd run away from home. My dad was a bully. I jumped out the window and ran for my life. The martial arts helped save me. I know you don't like bullies. It doesn't matter whether it's a corporate bully. How'd you go from kickboxing into MMA? Honestly, Mark, I, I legally I can't speak about it. Whatever Dana White said, it's a lie. I opened a lot of the areas for the UFC, but as I was working for this company, I realized they weren't looking after me at all, taking advantage of me. I was fighting a battle outside the ring. You know, you're taking on giants. What drives Mark Hunt to want to look after all these young fighters? Is it just because you I feel as though they've been bullied or you want to I, help? I couldn't look after my sister. I couldn't help her because I was the youngest. It's what, happened, it's what happened to me. You know, so, oh, man, can we stop for a minute? Yeah. So, yeah. No, one, no one helped me. Us. When you're a kid at eight years of age and your father's beating the shit out of you, that's probably just the same thing. You stood up to him then. Yeah. You do it now. Mark Hunt, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Oh, thanks, Mark, for having me on the show. Long time <laughs> to get to, get together. I haven't seen you for ages. Um, I watched on Saturday, obviously, at the fights against Sonny Bill. You all right? Feel good? Yeah, I feel great. I mean, um, I feel, no, uh, I mean, I, I, not, not about the fight, winning the fight. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I was actually really happy about, you know, being the last time I ever, you know, lace up any pair of gloves, you know, whether it be MMA, kickboxing, or make that walk again, you know. Um, yeah, my first time I ever stepped into the uh, to, to the boxing ring or Muay Thai ring was when I was 17 years old. You know? Can we go back there? Can we do you mind if we go back there? Yeah. I mean, I know you wrote a book and it's it, it, it's a good book and it's been well well sold. Um, well sold. It's you know the Born to Fight. Yeah. yeah that was the name of the book. And uh, Ben McAlvey, Born to Fight. Yeah. yeah. Ben McAlvey, who I've met. You introduced me to him. Uh, he seems like a decent dude. He's a great guy. Yeah. And um. And it's a good book, and but it does go back right through your history. So, take me back to Auckland, seventeen. Yeah, my first fight is, uh, um, you know, um, 
I was in the uh, growing up, you know, I had a bad start. But what does that mean, though? You had a bad start, like. Well, I might, you know, I had a parents who was a, a dad who was really abusive. Um, you know, um, mother that was, you know, never there. Uh, you know, childhood, I like. We got dealt pretty rough cards, you know. It wasn't um, a normal upbringing, to be honest. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, and you don't realize that you think it's normal until you meet someone that's normal. Until I met Julie, then you realize, oh, okay, so this is what normal is, and you're you've had a you know a, a rough start, a bad start. So, um, brothers and sisters, how many? Yeah, I've got two older brothers and an older sister. Yeah, my older brother John killed himself probably about seven eight years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, Steve's schizophrenic. He's been like that for 30-something years. And my older sister. Um, so, you know, my dad was molesting my sister um, since the age of six, I think. Wow, that's um, heavy. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. So, yeah. um, you know, he needs to beat the fuck out of all of us, part of my French, but he's, yeah. he was uh, he was not a good person. He used to, he used to use the, the church, the Mormon church, because we are all – Mormons and use the church as a cover, but he was he was, he was actually a real piece of shit. So, um, and and we used to get beaten all the time, but not actually beatings like normal beatings. You know, he was hog tires. Um, he was good at mental warfare, so you know, he'd make us get on our knees. Um, you know, just for, uh, for uh, on get on our knees as punishment, and he'll be out there sawing down the freaking pear tree with a freaking with a steel saw. <laughs> You know, like a hacksaw instead yeah, yeah. of a wood saw. That's yeah, how stupid yeah, yeah. he was. He yeah, was yeah. like, but we'd we'd watch him and and we'd be you know really scared. Like, I think I I, I started getting anxiety from that age at the young age. So the first time I was homeless, I was eight. I ran away from home. You know, I slept in a tree at the school. You know, and um, it was kind of weird because I I, uh, I I clotheslined uh, uh, some towels from the apartment block next door to keep warm, but um, it was. Cold because it was you know nighttime and using it really cold. But the only thing that kept me warm was my my swollen ear, which he'd he'd caught me with from uh, an old you know hose from the you know those old washing machines. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a belt. Yeah, like so the belt. He, he whacked me. He, well, it was the start of, of one of those abusive uh, hidings, and uh, I jumped out the window and ran for my life. <laughs> and I spent uh, the nights and the next two weeks homeless. You know, as an eight year old, you know, I I sat in that tree cold, like I said, and the only thing to keep me warm was my ear was swollen. And I looked up at the sky. I don't know who I was talking to, you know, whether it be God or someone. I, I I said, this is it. Is this me? I was you know, eight years old. I was, I was pretty scared. Yeah. So it, was, um, it wasn't it was a good start. It was like that, you know. So um, And was your mum there? She was never there. She was always out working, um, trying to provide. My dad didn't have a job in the end. You know, finance is really bad. Um, I don't blame my parents because they no one probably taught them how to do things properly or how to live or, or you know, or, or the right way or the normal way. Is this, is this, I mean, is this a cultural thing? I mean, we saw the movie Once Warriors, blah, 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 South Auckland, blah. I mean, are we, is that what we're talking about? Like, I think the problem here in my, in my culture is that, that it's it's called ma or, or shame. We don't bring out our issues and problems. And that's the thing I think I feel that what I did was what I needed to do was if there's issues like Peter, Peter, uh, you know, being molested in, as a as a child or being beaten, you need to speak about these things, bring it out into the open so it can be fixed and healed. In our culture, they don't do that. They try to put it under the carpet and hide it. Is that po- you mean Polynesian culture or Samoan? Yes, yeah. Polynesian. That's not just being a Samoan. I, I think every Polynesian culture they 
you know, they, they hide it and they, they try to cover it up. You know, the molestation, the the, the pedophile, the, you know. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, I learned about, uh, you know, I had to express myself about growing and speaking about it because if you don't speak about it, you hide it, you end up like my brothers, you know, like, um, you know, John who killed himself and uh, and Steve who, who's had schizophrenia for like, uh, you know, over 30 years now. And he's destroyed. Well, you know, I mean, she's as, as normal as can be. She's been counseling. Um, but I don't think um, you'll ever be normal after that sort of abuse. You know, she, she's been molested since she was six. She was pregnant at 16, 15. Um, you know, he went to jail, but um, got out because she dropped the charges. You know, back then in those days you could drop charges. But, you know, right now these days the police. Yeah, you can't. You can't. So um, there was a lot of movement for it. Back then, people didn't know what schizophrenia was, um, you know, but now they do. Something that struck me the first time I met you was what I, given what, what I knew about from the book and everything, was how sort of stable you are, <laughs> like sort of normal. I mean, you say about, talking about your, your family and that, and, you know, you, some of us know what you went through. How is it that Mark Hunt is so sort of, at least today, normal? You know, I, I was, you know, coaxed to try to be when I was in the when I was in jail the first time. I mean, like, you know, the groups. There was a group called the Mugram. They try to bring you along to be a part of the groups and be a bad person. But I found jail quite. You know, I love jail because you get fed three times a day. You, you know, you, you know, I was working. I had I had structure. You know, I had something to do. I had a purpose of so doing stuff. But um. You know, I, I didn't. I just didn't feel right going that right, whether whether it be the groups or going uh, to do this. I, I just, I just didn't feel in my heart it was it was the right thing to do. I don't know why. I just never liked. Um, was I just? I don't know why. I just felt wrong. You know, like I said, I, I, I just it was just instilled in me. I don't know why or who instilled it in me, but it was just the way I felt about. Do you think honesty is? One of your great strengths, because I always found it to be a super honest guy, but also one of your big weaknesses. I, you know, it's a big weakness when people take advantage of you. Yeah. I don't think it's something I should change about myself. But these days, you know, I, I've been learning, like, uh, you have to be guarded about what you say about to people. And, uh, you know, I don't believe I should change about being an honest person um, because everyone else is a crook. You know, I just feel that's just how it should be. I, uh, with me, I never used to say a word about anything until I wrote my book. You know, um, well, well, you kept it all inside. I didn't read it. I didn't write it. Um, you narrated it to somebody who wrote yes, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it was a, a ghost written. Um, and I felt, you know, when when I did 10 years of work in Japan, people thought I was like, this guy is kind of weird. He's like a chubby guy. He's fighting with these professionals. He come from nowhere and he doesn't say much. He just says yes and no. And because I, I did, you know, I, I wanted to, I didn't know about expressing myself, you know, because it was always... You know, if you say something, you're going to get whipped or beaten from your parents. Um, well, for my dad anyway. But, um, you know, like after talking with um, with Ben, uh, I said to him, you should go talk to my sister first before you start speaking to me about anything. Because I don't really remember much of my childhood because it's all about defense mechanisms and blocking all that stuff out. Um, you know, and that's why the Japanese people thought, what is up with this guy? You know, until I wrote my book, then I started being able to speak freely about things, you know, or, or speaking publicly about things, about, you know, um, trauma, about um, 
surviving and how to how to heal and fix things and get better and get better and become a, a productive member of society and not, how to make others better a, and yeah, help others a, be better exactly not a piece of shit crooked criminal that goes to jail and says oh i blame my parents or i blame this person or that person no i mean because all of us could do that all of us could take the easy road um at any minute just like what i said about dave david tour being able to you know you know, you know, in Samuel culture, you say, I will be a bill means go straight, don't bend. And that's why I admired him so much because, you know, I came from the other side. <laughs> you know, being in jail twice and, uh, you know, trying to um, um, be a, a positive and productive member of society that helps others, that serves others, not uh, a crook who tries to uh, do bad things to people. The two jail events, how long did they last for? Um, I got nine and a half months the first time for aggravated robbery. I beat someone up for his shoes during the day. They knew who we were, put us in jail. And I shouldn't laugh at it, but that's just um, dumb. Oh. <laughs> you know, really dumb. But you were a kid. Um, yeah, I was uh, – well, I felt like, you know, I was not just a kid. I thought I was an adult because I'd been through so much already. But um, um, And then the second time was for assault. Um, I only got like a month or something in the rock. Um, I came out – I think I was 20, um, just for dumb stuff. And how did you start fighting? Well, no, I was um, in a lot of trouble. We were um, doing a lot of bad things as kids. Um, gang? Mug mugging people. Like a know. gang or, or a group? I wouldn't call it a group. Just you know, uh, young kids that, you know, our our livelihoods at home weren't, weren't good. We were more safe out on the streets together than, than at home with um, shitty parents, um, to be honest. And... You know, we just became friends and hanged out together and and took our frustrations out on everyone else. You know, that's, you know, I learned to drive in stolen cars and, and, and ride in stolen bikes. That's that's how, how stupid it was, you know, and, and I felt safe, safer out in the streets than I did at home. How did you get into a gym and start to put a structure around? Okay, so I, you know, I, we just finished mugging some people at the back of the nightclub. Um, we ran into the nightclub. Um, you know, a friend of mine, I said to my... To one of my other friends, oh, where's uh, John gone? He said, he's outside with these four boys. And I went to have a look and these guys are kicking the shit out of him in this corridor. So I run to help him. I had some Johnny Rebs on and I slipped up. And we ended up sitting shoulder to shoulder and these guys were kicking the shit out of all of us, both of us. So what happened was these guys were standing in front of the club called DTMs. I was, you know, I was irate after that. I was, you know, I walked up the police already there and I just, they were laughing. So, you know, I was, you know, I just... I, I I dropped one of them. One I of the coppers? No. One of the other bikes, yeah. I dropped like maybe three or four of them and there was a big rumble. And and um the bouncer, his name his name is Sam Masters, he grabbed me and hit me in the toilets and um he became my first trainer. He said, uh, you know, he saved me from getting arrested and he said, Would you like to fight um Muay Thai? I said, What is that? He said, Come to my gym, um, you know, four days. Of training, and then that week, the next weekend, I was fighting in the very same club. My first Muay Thai fight, <laughs> amateur fight, like your first amateur, first fight ever in the first ring. fight. Yeah, so you know, I thought I was pretty cool because he gave me some Muay Thai shorts. You know, the guy was like thirty kilos heavier than me. I still knocked him out, but um, yeah, that's that was my first experience. Was walking out there, um, you know, in, in that same very nightclub, but like like probably a three hundred, maybe four hundred people there, and they're all looking at you. I'm like this. Oh, this is kind of strange. You know, there's like bright lights and like everyone's looking at you and you're like, you know, and then my first, when I kicked him, well, he kicked me for the first time in the legs and I'm like, oh, 
wait a minute. That hurt. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> you know, and that was, it was kind of a weird feeling, but, um, you know, well, actually not weird because I've always been hurt by my, my dad, but it was like in, you're actually in combat with some another male, you know, a, a male that's 30, you know, I think it was 95 kilos or 100. He was like maybe 140 or something. But, but yeah, that was my first experience of an actual ring fight. I started fighting in New Zealand. Um, I got free trips to go and fight all around the country, which was really right. cool for me because because yeah. Sam was a surfer, and I went with the surfers, and we went and we had fights here, 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 and it, it allowed me to travel New Zealand. You got to see your country. I got to see New Zealand, and um, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't have to pay for anything; they just picked me up. We just went, and I fought, and they surfed, and and it was like um, it was really cool. I found it really cool because I. Um, he was like a, a father figure to me, Sam. You know, he looked after me. Um, I ended up moving into the gym we had and um, staying with him, um, working the, the doors as a doorman. Um, yeah, I, I love Sam. He's a good man. He he said he helped me a lot with um, direction and stuff, um, or what to do. But I didn't really look at fighting as um, a, way of, a, a way of life. You know, I just. Um, it was just a way to get out of my house. <laughs> well, your book's called Born to Fight, but do you think you were born to fight? I, I feel, I think, you know, whether it be God or, or, or the universe or whatever, uh, it actually, martial arts helped save me. I had no direction. I was in a, I was like in a, a boat with no rudder, you know, with a, not knowing, with a, a sail up, not knowing where to go. But as soon as I finally came along, I had a direction, I had purpose. And, and then I took that, you know, and it's only when I came to Australia that I took it, um, seriously, I mean, after a couple of years of still being lost here, you know, I used fighting as a way to pay rent, um, to make some money to feed myself. Um, I met a, a few good people on the way that helped me say, okay. And only in, I think, 2000 is when I had, um, I started seeing it as a way to, uh, to, to make a living for myself. I was working a full-time job. I was living in Harbord at the time in Manly. I didn't have a car, I had to catch the bus, catch a ferry, to, and then a train to Redfern, to Undine's gym. And train and then do the same thing back. So my day started at 4.30. I'd get up and go running. And then I go to my 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 full-time job at Blackmoors, uh, at um Tabco, is where I made tablets for Blackmoors. And then I would um catch the bus, the train and the ferry to uh, to Redfern, and, and then my night my whole day finished at 10:30, so 4:30 and 10:30. Um training for this Oceana 2001 K1. K1, which is kickboxing. Kickboxing. Yeah. And, and it was that Tony Mundine's gym, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Lura gym. Yeah, so that. It's a lot uh, different now. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, it's pretty fancy now. And then, but they were doing, they, they were teaching kickboxing there. So. Well, you know, Australia's first world champion kickboxer was a guy named Alex Toy, a Tongan man. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I don't think he'd get the recognition he deserved, but uh, he was the first world champion for Australia. And um, he became my coach. Um, you know, he's a quiet, quietly spoken man. And, I, and it was a dollar to train there, but even if you had, it didn't have a dollar, you could train there. A dollar, literally. Yeah, even if you didn't have a dollar, you could just still train there. So, but Alex, uh, you know, I was training there, and I was sparring with you know Kali guys like Kali Mihin, Bob Murovic for boxing. I used to go up to couple of heavyweights, Australian heavyweights. Yeah, yep. I used to go to the Central Coast at Mark Bejeria's place and and stay there and train when I trained for the first K1 Oceana with Angelo Hyder. Yep, with Danny um, Green's old yep. coach. Danny Green's our coach and the Maloney's coach. So, you know, I started back then um, training for this K1 and um, I won the first one. 
Um, and then I went to Japan for the first time. Where did you end up in terms of K1, Lee? Yeah, so I was the second uh, Oceana. I was fighting, um, I was training, and I I was living that time in Lumiere with my my, my ex-wife. Um, we had no kids, and I used to tr- I used to drive to Manly to, to spar with Adam. He used to beat the crap out of me. Fucking Adam. Adam was amazing, amazing yeah. technique, amazing yeah. fighter, and a great human being. Um, I didn't like it at the time because he used to beat the crap out of me at sparring. Um, Justin Fortune was still there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, Justin, yep. And, now um, in the U.S.? Now he's in the U.S. Yep. Adam was saying, uh, Mark, because I had made the world title, you know, um, the world's the world best eight. And he said, Mark, you, you've got to go. I wasn't wanting to go. They were paid not that much money. But he goes, you got to take the opportunity. Doing a bit of spa work with uh, one of with, Australian kickboxing yeah, legends. Yeah, with you Australian know, royalty, which is uh, martial arts was Adam Watt. Adam totally. Watt's uh, – is an amazing, amazing fighter, and I, I didn't like to go training because he keep, you know, we were aspiring, and he was getting, re- we were both getting ready for the worlds, um, and you know, I was just getting beaten up. But I know what um, Adam said to me was, "Mike, you got to take the opportunity," and I said, "Okay, I, I don't want to go, but you know, uh, I, 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 like, I'm a pretty trustworthy, trusting person." But um, you know, I listened to what he said, and I went along. We ended up, I ended, up, I was fighting Ray Seffel. Um, he was fighting uh, Mike Bernardo. Um, I think it was, and and Mike Bernardo was, you know, I mean, anyway, um, Adam knocks out Mike Bernardo. I, I, uh, Ray couldn't continue because his eyes, eyes shut from the fight, so they asked me if I could continue. And I was, my, my head was ringing, but I, I took the fight anyway against Adam. And um, unfortunately, I was lucky to, to get Adam and knock him out and um, go through to the Worlds. That ranked you top eight? The top eight in the world. Yep. At the end of the year, it was New Year's Eve, and I'd, I fought in the top eight and I won the world title. I'm the only K1 heavyweight champion this side of the world to ever win it. Right. So Adam, so Adam never Dutch. won it? Adam never won it? Um, the regionals he did. Yeah. But not, not the, the world. Yeah. And Larry Larry never won anything up there. Larry Papp, did he? Was he a kickboxer or is he just more a wrestler? I think, I don't know Larry's story to be honest, but I, I think, because Larry used to teach Peter Graham, a few yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. the fighters, but I don't know. I mean, I'm the, I'm the only heavyweight or the only K1 champion ever that's come from this side is of the world is me. Yeah. Well, that's so, a pretty big deal. Well, it is. I mean, it, it, it wasn't uh, that much of a big deal back in the day, but... Um, it is today, though, when uh, you look I, back. Well, well, it is today because history says that there's no more K1. Were you a, a more of a boxer in K1 or more of a kickboxer or kicker? A, I, was, leg work? Uh, I was more of a uh, whatever wins the fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if it was boxing, that's what it was. And yeah. I... Uh, I, uh, I didn't have no amateur background, as I explained to you. I just, you know, four days of training um, and then straight into the into the ring and then fighting all around and then... Is there money in that, K-1? Did, did you get paid? At, well, I got it? paid. Um, for me, it was great. You know, from a normal job that pays $300 a week <laughs> where I had my um, ex, ex-spouse looking after me and she's a hairdresser. They don't get paid that much. You know, yeah. Jules, you know, made sure I was fed, made sure the rent was paid. Um, you know, you've got to have a good woman, man. It sucks, otherwise you never succeed. Um, and that's what, you know, I, I wasn't making that much money at, at uh, Tabco, to be honest. I was making about a little over $300 a week. And it was a hard laboring job. So um, so 27000 US. Back then, the US dollar was double to the Australian dollar. Right, so it was 50-odd grand Aussie. So, that's um, a 1000 bucks a week. Yep. And so then I won. Um, um, I first realized that I... Yeah, when I knocked out Jerome and then the second guy, 
I mean, when I started that competition, it was an open checkbook. Mark, he said, Mark, if you win this this competition, you know, you name your price. As we got closer, Dixon comes in here. It's like half a million dollars, Mark. You're going to get half a million dollars closer to the next fight, you know. But the next day at negotiations, you know, the number that came over the table was 60,000 US dollars. So I was making 120,000 US dollars per event. Um, uh, they were offering six fights a year. So it was like 250,000 US. Plus, I was happy with that because I'd just won 440,000 US dollars, like close to a million dollars back then. Um, as Big a money then. As a 27 year old, I was like, that had nothing. Like, wow. And I'd made it, you know, um, even before that. Um, when I won my first tournament um, for $10,000, I'd, uh, me and George, we, had, we were living with Lucy, a lady named Lucy. And um, uh, in a room, I'd bought, my, bought ourselves, ourselves a doona, a TV and video, and I thought we'd, 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 we'd worse. You made it. We made it, you know, like $10,000. We bought a TV and video and a doona, and we could go, I took her shopping, bought some clothes, and I, I thought, I, I, I've done it. I've made it. I was so happy. You know, because I could just get the remote and just go. <laughs> so how does a kid like who was 15 years earlier sleeping in a tree for a couple of weeks with a couple of pinched sheets to keep warm and a swollen head from getting whacked by his old man, how did you sort of reconcile where you were when you're 27, money coming through? You must have thought, shit, I made it. Well, when I won that $10,000, I thought I made it. I mean, when I won that close to a million dollars, I was like, Oh, you know, we were so happy about being able to buy my parents' house. I don't, I don't know, understand why. I think uh, the mechanism of blocking at the past to be able to move forward is what I was good at. And I never, and that's what I did. That's why it's been counseling, it's been going for years for me. And it's so hard to try and, you know, get to, to get to, to killing my dad. I, I mean, I've murdered my mum so many times in counseling. You know, in the safe zone, it's okay to be to do that. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. This house. But, you know, I, I haven't been able to get to my father yet because. I still have so many walls up. So, I mean, like like what you've asked for is like when I say me being able to cope with things or thinking about that, I didn't think about the past because I, I blocked it out. And just looked at the future. And all I, th- I, I lived in that moment. You know, I lived it's probably a good way to be that, like in some respects. Well, I lived in that time and and, and, and it, was, well, it was easy because I didn't have to cope with the past because it was so, when I think about it now, it was like, man, I feel like, tearing up and crying sometimes because I was like, man, how, how, do, how do I deal with that? I mean, my brothers didn't know. My brother killed himself. And this is how warped his mind was because I don't know if he got molested uh, during it, but I know he got we all got abused. But, you know, how, you know, I bought my parents' house back in the day. You know, he got a tarp and laid it out on the floor. You know, he got a, a stainless steel knives that, that I bought. For, I refinished the house and he stabbed himself in the stomach. You know, he stabbed himself in the neck. It broke, the knife still broke in the neck, and he, and he still, you know, that's how his mind was was not there, you know. Seeing someone like, I, mean, I love my brother, but um, we were like we were like animals in the house, straying, like trying just trying to survive, and then the only he didn't kill himself then with doing that, you know, he killed himself by climbing up somewhere really high and just jumping backwards. Oh wow! So but he survived that. He survived that. What the fuck? You know, he, he stabbed him. That's how his mind was so gone. He stabbed was himself he angry? in the neck. Was he, was he an angry person? Like angry, angry? He was. He was. He was. He went into himself because he tried to study to get out of the situation. He tried, you know, he became an engineer. Uh, um, he did fitter, become an engineer. A fitter and turner. Yeah, wow. You know, um, but as I tried to, to get closer to him and, and talk to him, he just, 
you know, you could see the light, you know, there was in his eyes, you know, before he died, I looked at him, it was just looking through me. The yeah. lights were on, but no one's home. Yeah. And then I was, I was like, wow. But, you know, then he just, he killed himself, uh, uh, you know, by climbing really high and just jumping backwards, cracking his head open. So. Yeah, but you don't strike me as an angry, I mean, you might have been before, but you don't strike me as an angry person. I was very angry. Yeah. I was, I, I, as a, uh, a child, I used to go, um, you know, with a lot of other, you know, just. Do whatever angry kids do. Yeah. But what about now? What What's got you out of the anger? Well, I mean, growing up, I am 48. Um, yeah. You know, people can turn on a dime. But I know plenty of people who still fucking use this shit to be the angry person at 48. How did you I, I know a lot of get people. out of it? I know a lot of people that uh, I just, I'm just, I, I, counselling for one. I, I, I've been going to seeing Steph for a long, about five, six years now. Yep. Um, I mean, meeting a beautiful woman like Jules. I mean, we're still best friends. I mean, um, our marriage broke up, you know, me being so far apart and, and um, um, traveling all the time. It, it's, it's, it's hard. I, 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 to be honest, I don't, I can't tell you why I'm, uh, I'm okay with it. I mean, I can get angry on a dime, you know, because, you know, I, but I feel um, I know consequences now. I know what uh, before I didn't as a young kid. I didn't have consequences, or I didn't know until I went to jail about consequences. All I was doing was mugging people and you know and and home invading and doing really stupid stuff like um, bad stuff. Like because of the guys that were around, you know, around me, we were doing these 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 things. Is this a say? I don't want to be like my dad. The, the only thing I've learned from my parents is not to be like them. Yeah, it's to provide for my kids. At all costs, you know, make sure they've got a roof over their head. They've always got food. Um, they're not going to school uh, being the angry kid. You know, I used to bully the bullies at school. You know, no no kid would take me in their class. And uh, Miss McDonald only took me in the class because of my older brother, you know. And I was in a, a, a classroom full of smart kids, you know, all the nerd kids. And they all, all come to me and said, they're getting bullied. And I'll go and bully the bullies, <laughs> you know, because... Yeah, I was getting, you know, tortured at home. Um, and that's that was, you know, one of them thanked me because, you know, um, he, Lou, his name was, he, he he got a scholarship to King's College. And he thanked me by bringing him up on the stage. I remember this because he, I don't know why he bought me up. I think it was like saying thank you, Mark, um, for, for helping me. I know you don't like bullies. and doesn't matter whether it's a corporate bully, even if they're hiding behind a corporate veil. How'd you go from kickboxing into MMA? Um... Uh, I, I honestly, Mark, I, I legally I can't speak about it. You can't speak of that. I, I can't legally speak about it. I can I can tell you that whatever Dana White said is incorrect. It's a lie, but I I can't speak about how. So I, what did Dana White say? He said that they try to pay me off. To do what? To um, to pay me off and get me to leave the contract. I mean, I was I was in a losing on a losing streak, but um, in, in the UFC. No, before the UFC. In MMA. When they bought yeah. Pride. I was fighting in a company called Pride, uh, and the reason I came from Pride was I was in K1. Um, Pride came along, and they offered me two hundred fifty thousand US a fight. Eight per fight. Per fight, and I was like, "This, uh, what is this sport?" You know, I'd won the K1. I was like, "What is this? It's it's not just a, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a different sport altogether." And this in the early days too, when they were doing all sorts of things they can't do today. That, yeah, it was all sorts of weird. You could soccer ball kick someone in the face. Yeah. Um, so. When you went into uh, Pride and started doing this MMA fighting, like 
was it a shock to you, like when, the dudes you're coming up against? Well, they asked me about a guy named Fujita. He was a fighter. He looked like me, but he said, would you fight a guy named Fujita? And I'm like this, Vegeta. There was a show called Dragon Ball Z. If you've if you not heard about that, it's a cartoon, an anime, a Japanese anime that they're called Saiyans. The race is called Saiyans. And when they fight, the hair goes white. Yep. So they called me the, the Salmon Monster, or the, the Super Salmon, because when I get a fight of my hair, I, I dye my hair. So yep. I got a, of that. Um, and then when he was, when they asked me in the press about fighting a guy named Vegeta, I was like, I'm not Vegeta, I'm Goku. Because, you know, because they're the characters in, yeah. in this anime. And I didn't know what they were talking about. But um, when I got the offer to fight in Pride, I was like, this $250,000 US? What? Really? Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll go and see what it is. They paid me even the money to, to go and train in, uh, with a guy named Bass, Bass uh, Rutan in LA. He was a you know a fighter, and I'm like this. I'll just keep the money, and I'll go to New Zealand and train with Steve Oliver. Is an M, you know jujitsu and learn that. You know it was a it was a really harsh reality to be honest. Um, going from one of the great white sharks as a kick fighter to going to being a guppy in, in, a, in a shark tank. You know when we we ground stuff in jujitsu is is prominent or wrestling. Yeah. Is the whole you know striking is just one of the aspects of 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 MMA. Yeah, you know, and the other aspects is ground and and jujitsu or wrestling. So I was like a fish out of water. So because you hadn't done that, and and all of a sudden someone's got you in a choke or something like that, you're on the ground, and you know being a, you're a big dude. Well, it started like this. I went to Steve, my friend said, "Come and train with Steve." I said, "What is this?" And I saw them. I went into his house for this time because he had a gym in his house. And he said, "Oh, I saw these two guys wrestling around on the ground." And we were talking. I said to him, "Well, just stand up." And then, and then Steve goes to me, "Oh, just okay. You come here." So he said, "Come here." He's like uh, ninety kilo, eighty kilos, and he's like, "Okay, you try and get up." He puts me on the ground, and for the next six weeks, eight weeks, he's knee riding me, choking me. You know, he's giving me a, a lesson in in um, etiquette or manners. And all this, I. I I was like, wow, now I understand why you, you can't just get up because there's ways of, of how to get there, yeah. of how to do it. So I learned the hard way. So, um, you know, I was like a white belt fighting black belts. Yeah. yeah. And, and even when in one of the one of the first press conferences I did with all the, you know, Fedor and Malenko, all the great fighters of, of Pride, another question was put to me by the press, oh, Huntel, because they called me Huntel's on, Huntel's on. Uh, and how many hours have you done on the ground? And I said, ah, man, I did eight hours. <laughs> the whole room started laughing. They were just cacking. They were just laughing their heads off. And I said, ah, oh, it was a good eight hours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you think it's because your jujitsu? You didn't no, have a jujitsu background. I was fighting a battle outside the ring. What was that? I uh, I can't speak yeah. about it. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was legally a bit. It was. I was fighting another battle. Yeah. So, um, and what, just explain the heads, the mindset of someone. You get, you're going to get into the ring, but you got, or more important, you're training to get into the ring, and then you got the batter, but you've got something mentally fucking your head up, your brain up, like you got something inside. So I, you. I got someone that was ripping me off. So I've yeah. got people that are cheating me for money. So my mindset was, why am I going to fight this fight when this guy's? When there's a hole in your ship, when this guy's taking from you, yeah, cheating you, you know, it, um, it, if if everything works well, if the machine works well, if your management works well, you getting looked after, 
you know, you can make serious money, you can do well. A heavy fighter does very well when he's when when everything, all guns are firing. But when one of the guns are not firing, or one of the, you know, like a car, one of the things are not firing, one of the pistons, the car's not running to its full potential. Because I want to talk to you about this, Mike, because this doesn't get raised very much. And I, I'm not going to go into the sensitive areas, but everybody just sees blokes walk in the ring and they do their thing and they win or lose, you know what I mean? But they don't realise what it's like to train and prepare and then to fight if you've got some fucking mad thing in your brain really fucking you up. Okay. I mean, I texted you the other day I, I, and I, I said, mate, what people don't realise is you, there's a lot of stuff going on, you still got in the ring, you still train, you still got down to 129 kilos. That's not – that sounds like it's easy, but it's not that easy if you've got something. You, fighters have got to have everything clear. That's why their managers and their coaches do everything for them. All they do is turn up, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, train. Yes. For 12 weeks and they get in the ring they fight because managers take all the – do all the shit. You, you do everything yourself. Pretty well, much. Yeah, I mean, well, if you get, you know, bad teeth, you go to a dentist. If you got something wrong with your eyes, you go fix your eyes. You're, uh, as a optometrist. Optometrist. Yeah. Something wrong with your ears, your feet, your toes. If there's something wrong with you, you go to people that specialize in stuff. You know, like if I I was going through um some legal battles, you know, not all, all the you know, I was going through some legal issues. Um, and I still am going through these legal legal issues. Um with the the UFC, so when I started this battle um, seven years ago, I had issues before that. Yeah, and that's, it, why I was in, uh, that's why I was losing. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once; it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Using a lot of fights because I, I couldn't even beat uh, a, a wooden chair <laughs> because I was that mentally drained from all these, uh, my old crooked managers. Yeah, because so, you know, then the fight game. taking advantage of it. And the, fight, and the fight game can be either you got the world's best manager, like Jeff with Johnny Lewis, like did everything for him, but like, you know, did his thinking nearly. Well, I mean, you've got to have a team around you, you know, and you're the, the diamond tip that drills. If you have a, a great team around you to help you grow, you'll flourish, you'll, you'll make potential, you'll maximize your potential. You know, that's, uh, as you know, as, as a business or whatever, you'll maximize, as a fighter, I'm a business, you, you can maximize. Well, that is your business. business. You're yeah. in the business of fighting. Yeah, but if, if, if everything's not behind you and you're not working well, you cannot be that, that killer fighter that you're supposed to be because yeah. you're working it alone. You know, you're getting cheated here. You're like, man, you know, your mind's not clear. Like I say, with fighting, is the same thing with life, same thing with relationships, and um, everything. I mean, you either do it or you don't. You don't sit in the middle, 
and maybe it's either I'll I'll fucking do the fighting or I'll fucking don't. Yeah, yeah. I won't sit in the middle of the highway of fighting and go, ah, I'm a bit worried, maybe. Because you sit in the middle, that's, that's where you get beat. That's where I was. I was in the middle of the highway because I was in three freaking different minds. I was in two minds because I was getting cheated out of from every angle. But when the person, when the fighter is is is, is clearly, you know, has a clear head and happy, the diamond tip will cut through anything. Did at any stage did you were you able to um, manage that thought process and and become much more successful? Say for example, when you were in the UFC, because you had a lot of great fights in the UFC as a UFC fighter. I mean, you were the big tough punching guy. You well, never you never got to the world title, like but but I I, I got to a world title a shot. Yeah, you got a shot, but you didn't get but, it. But yeah, like everything else. But how did you? Because you did a lot of great. You, I opened a lot of the the countries, a lot of. Areas for the UFC. The totally. problem was, I, I, I like, you know, I'm not, I can't speak of how I got into it, but you know, as I realized um, when I was working for the company, I said, like, "Man, this is a great company to work for. I think, you know, they're going to look after you, this and that." But as I was working for this company, I realized they weren't looking after me at all. Your content. You know, they were they were taking advantage of me. Uh, it's your honest. content. Your inventory for the business. Well. Um, and, and the thing is, for me, I've always said, without the fighters, there's no company. The problem is the fighters these days don't know their worth. Like as uh, compared to a boxer, as to a, as an MMA fighter, the, 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 the reason why the boxers get so much more money is because of, of, of a guy named Muhammad Ali. You know, Explain that. Why, why, well, what happened? The Ali Act is in, in boxing. When a, uh, when there's you, an act. There's a bit of legislation. Yes. When you become the world champion um, of box of a boxer like they say for Anthony for instance Anthony Joshua or, or Tyson Fury, uh, people pay all the English people will pay for this this pay per view to support this fighter and his family. They'll pay sixty dollars or whatever it is. So automatically the, the audience you're talking about, yeah. well, whoever yeah. is supporting uh, uh, um, Tyson Fury, yep. they'll pay this money because they want to see him flourish or watch him fight. So they'll pay sixty dollars or whatever it is. So half of that money directly goes to Tyson Fury automatically. He doesn't have to go out and sit at a table and talk to a guy named Dana White like the UFC fighters. So nowadays when you get to the title in UFC, the champion has to go and sit at a table with a guy named Dana White and say, well, can you give me a dollar, bro? And out of, the, out of 60 bucks. Out of $60. Can I get at least um, $2? I mean – well, can I get a blowjob? I spent a moment. I mean, let's like this. Mike Tyson was. Take that one out. I was just quoting what he said. You know, no, Mike Tyson said that. Well, he said, "Can I get a blowjob? I lost all my money." You know, or oh, I'm just yeah, 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 rubbish. Yeah. But so the the pay per view, you have to negotiate with a guy in Dana White for a percentage, or, or even like the, he people ask for a dollar. Um, they but that's try only to, after you become world champion. You've only considered that table if you get the title, but in boxing, when you get the title, automatically. That pay per view, that's because of what Muhammad Ali did. Yes, because they're yeah because it's of legislated. what he did. It's legislated. It's law. It's law. You know, it's called the Ali Act. Yeah, there's a lot of different things. Like even now, the the, the MMA fighters that you work for UFC, they don't have healthcare. They're subcontractors. You know, so they 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 used by date is here, and if they don't listen, you have to look after yourself. So, people that support. Um, what I was trying to get at, people would try to that support that want to see their fighter flourish. If, if say for instance Volkanovski, people all the Australians and New Zealanders wanted to support this man and his family, 
Know that when you pay for that pay-per-view, you're not giving that man that money that, and his family and his kids that opportunity. You're not giving him that, that 60 bucks you're paying. Or any what, part of it. Or any part of it. What you're giving him is what he's negotiated with Dana White. That is the difference here with, with MMA. And that's the other lawsuit I'm in. I'm trying to, we're trying to bring in the Ali Act into MMA. Right, we're trying to make them employers and have health care. Why did they introduce the Ali Act? Is it because Don King was rorting Muhammad Ali? Is that what we're talking about? Or there, what, there's what, a, what is that? There's a, uh, it's probably the same reason what's happening now that with the UFC. They're taking advantage of these fighters, um, you know, that what have to, have to, to go table? fund me for their health care if they have operations on But them. what brought them to the table? What, what got whoever was running the fight, the, 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 whoever well, was making all the money? It took someone like Muhammad Ali to make change. Yeah. Just like someone like me to make change against steroids in sport or uh, to make things different, you know. People say they go, oh, the, the person that speaks up gets, gets hammered. But, I mean, I, I feel what I'm trying to do is, is, is uh, change sporting law or trying to, you know, help uh, these fighters get health care, get better pay. Well, you know, um, that's why within, we were doing these sort of things. I mean, because you don't. Uh, people like Jake Paul are, are doing a lot of talking, but you can't really make change. You bring a lot of eyes to the situation, but you don't bring a lot of change unless you force these guys to make change. And these are, um, I found out they're the owners of they're like the they're, they're big businesses. They call it business. But when the business is, uh, I feel it's personal because you you got families involved, people's children involved, you know, like- In terms uh, of fighters. Well, yep. in terms of fighters, yeah. because- the options for their kids become, you know, to them as business. But why do you? To why? me, it's it's personal because uh, it's because my children they deserve the options that I give them because I've you know been fought so hard for them to get these options. Why shouldn't they get the benefits? It's like Lance Armstrong when he when he cheated for seven years. Uh, all these people, he didn't cheat them by hurting them physically, but he cheated them by financially ruining them for a lot of these families. And the and the options for these children, you know, he, he he that's what he did. That's how he hurt them. So with MMA, you could kill someone. I I, I call it for the steroid thing. It could be premeditated murder. How do you mean with steroids? Like because well, if someone's on the roids, like that. Okay, so for instance, I know I'm going to fight you in three months. I use steroids to, to make me stronger, bigger, and faster. And if I kill you, should you should I get a fine um, from USADA and get a time off? Or should I go straight to fucking jail? Do not collect two hundred bucks. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm against any form of and, and performance enhancing because because so, so, it's just unfair. But if you kill me in the process, then my family's going to suffer because of the advantage that you took. So I think you're so, resp you're responsible. So it's a criminal offense. So what happens if the company knew that they were cheating and they allowed it to happen? Well, then there's a. It looks like a participation, like a conspiracy, or maybe not a conspiracy, but aiding and abetting or whatever it is. So um, there's that issue there also is what I'm trying. I'm trying to fight for on that on my personal lawsuit to, to make things because all I asked for before I dropped this lawsuit on, on the UFC was can I just have a clause in the contract so he doesn't have no money, he doesn't get no funds from it because I feel it starts with the money um, and then they should enforce their punishment because they never enforce their punishment. They just said, you know, we're UFC where they got the strictest punishments in the world. So why haven't you enforced them? Why don't well, you? You're talking, about, you're talking about a particular opponent of yours in a particular well, fight. You know, uh, well, there was a few of them in my time, and the one that broke the the, you know, the straw and coming back it was Brock Lesnar. Yeah. You know, I felt that they knew that he was cheating, and they allowed him to do it. They were selling their company. I thought 
this is what they were up to, and they used me as cattle, as a, as as um as a as to sell their company at this stage. So, um, so I'm trying to make these changes. What's it like to fight someone like someone as big as is a giant for us? It's already a giant. But what's it like for someone like that? If let's assuming he was on steroids because he got he got tested for steroids. What's it like hitting them? Are they hard? Do they, do they feel like a rock or what, what, do they hit harder? What happens? I mean, I I, I don't really want to assume anything to be honest with these things. I just I I always feel like these I, I like for anyone I trust them before I said I trust my company. You know they call it the assumption of risk. I I, I you know, what about the assumption of trust? I trusted you guys to look after me. To, uh, to enforce your contract, but they've never done that since the, since the get-go. Um, the guy didn't even get weighed in properly. There was no way in for him. Because he got to weigh in under 120 kilos or something. Is that right? There was no way he was even that weight. He no, no way. He three times tight. my size. I was like, uh, but like I've, I've fought uh, my whole life against bullies. You know, my dad was a bully. Um, I've always, you know, as a kid, I couldn't do anything about it. But as I, as I grew up, um, I got, um, I was able to do something physically. To these bullies, are you are you an, do you like to help the underdog? Well, like, I'm pretty much an underdog myself. I started, like I said, from behind the eight ball. I was always behind, you know, in schooling and everything. Um, but the thing is, like I said about David Tour was before, you know, you go straight. Once you, you know, when you're when I've been in your jail on the bad side of the law, you know that that's not the right way to go. Once you understand that, you stay on the right side. So, um, it was just as easy for me to go. The bad side and, and blame and everyone join else. the groups and say, oh, and go and murder these people and do bad things and say, oh, I blame this and this rubbish and this upbringing. Yeah, that's just that's just weak. That's just a weak excuse to go bad. But why do you want? What I, I'm just trying to get. My, always been trying to get my head, Mark. What drives Mark Hunt to want to look after all these young fighters? Is it just because you I feel as though they're being bullied, or you want? I, to help? I couldn't look after my sister. I couldn't help her because I was the youngest while she was getting molested. Um, yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons why, you know. Um, yeah, I, I let me just sorry, I don't want to tear up. I mean, I just, I just, it's, it's, that's one of the reasons why. Um, you want to help these people, you feel as though it's like watching that all over again as a kid, watching people it's, it's, take advantage of other people, basically it, fucking them up. It's what, happened, it's what happened to me, you know. So, oh, man, can we stop for a minute? Yep. So, yeah, because no one, no one helped me. Us. Because, mate, you know, it seems like to me your life mission is to help all those people who are getting fucked over. But now yeah. you can do something. And you eat yeah. because, Mark, you put yourself at enormous risk, man. Like, uh, you know, you're taking on giants. They're so wealthy, so well-resourced. They can public relations fuck you up. But it's, But I guess when you're a kid at eight years of age, and your father's beating the shit out of you and your mum's not there to help you out and you're watching this shit happen to your sister, that's probably just the same thing as an eight-year-old. You stood up to him then. Yeah. You do it now. You've never stopped doing it, have you, your whole life? Uh, yeah. It's um, you're sort of terrible. I just, that's I'm all just, good, man. You know, it's hard. Uh, Counselling's been good to, to help me get my um feelings out a lot, you know, with, with stuff like this. Uh, yeah. But, but I actually think it's important that... Uh, People understand that this is a real, there's a real reason for this. It's not just some fucking you being an asshole and uh, just trying to, you know, you know, push your way through something because you're being belligerent or uh, or and or stubborn. You're not yeah. a belligerent person. You're not. That's not your. It's not your go. That's no, that's never been about those sort of things. It's never been about money, um, you know, because I've never had 
any it's um it's it's probably because um I couldn't help my my siblings. Yeah. And you do trust? Why is it and that I, you trust people straight up, though? Why? Why? Because I mean, I've seen a couple of things. You know, a couple of last years. I made a lot of mistakes in my time. Yeah, but I, you I'm, trust dudes. I trust a lot of people. I just I take people on face value, and and you know, I, I feel everyone's a good person until they've done something wrong, and by that time, it's too late. And then that that is the problem with um, you know, I don't know why I'm like. I I think it's just how I am. Um, but I saw you do it in the last year there before out of Gregory Hills, but that. That dude, you remember another one? I'm talking yeah, about. I um, like huh? I said, I, I don't know people's intentions, and sometimes being honest uh, isn't good. Like I said, that that that's uh, I, but I feel it's one of my 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 strengths. Totally, uh, like uh, being honest and being being someone that's trusting. And I don't know why, uh, I don't want to change. I don't feel I should change because of that. I don't think we would want you, you to know, change. At the end of the day, um, you know, I've had to, yeah. I learned a lot from being with my ex-partner, um, being like normal, to be honest. Well, she she's she was a, just a normal person, like etc. Like, there's no big well, backstory. She's not normal. On. I mean, to 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 be a, to be my wife is it's hard to be normal. How the how the hell you put up with someone like as crazy as I am or as weird as I am? You know what I mean? Because when she met me, I had so many hiccups, and hang-ups, man. It's like. Um, you know, like trust issues. I was so untrusting. I never talked about nothing. I would, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, it was, it was, it was, I don't know how she did it, to be honest. But she saw beyond that though, obviously. Yeah, I, I think she saw, um, she saw me. So, you know, that's what, um, that's why I still love her. That's why, you know, that's why I said to her, let's go counseling, you know, for, and she's like, nah. <laughs> you know, and and that's, but anyway, I'll, I will always be have ties because of our kids and stuff. How many kids you got? Uh, I've got six, but six four kids. with Jules, yeah. So, and and I heard you after the SBW fight, and I heard you say like um you've been interviewed. And you heard I heard you say that um you know you do it for your kids and you want your kids to have a better life. Yeah, of course. I mean, I love my children. I just you know I just I'm not like my parents. So what does that my mean? My kids though? are outgoing. My kids are they're not. At the back of the class, they don't have to worry about eating. They, they're at the front of the class learning stuff. I mean, they're actually, you know, they're just they've got really good banter. They've, they're, you know, I mean, I mean, they're, they're very smart kids. I mean, you know, one of my, was, I shouldn't really say that, and and I say this, and it's not really a funny thing, but you know, they they've got really good banter. My one of Sierra's friends, she's eleven. Uh, she's like, your dad lost to Paul Gallon. And this year it goes, your dad works in a supermarket. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, you yeah. know, it's just. No, a, but that's good. But that's, it made me laugh because I was like, just, well, at least you're not like I was when people make fun of you. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you go and hit them or hurt them. She stood up for herself. She's though. got a lot of, all the kids have got banter and they're like, you know, they've got really outgoing. My youngest girl is so outgoing. How old is she? 11. Macy, she's eight. Eight. So the kids are, you know, um, God willing, well, hopefully they become productive members of society and not um, burdens in society, not a not a cancer on society like I was. Yeah, but I don't you think know? you. Yeah, I think you've certainly repositioned yourself in that regard. To be honest with you, like you yeah. maybe were a, a punish on society, but now well, you- I was. I mean, I was a cancer to society, like uh, like a, a lot of the uh, the trouble that comes with with issued families, with with when the community's bad because of these drugs or these these. Parents that don't know and, and not are not educated, you know the whole the bottom end falls up because all the they come, the kids become they become dependent on drugs or they become they have issues they go out doing crime, 
you know, the foundations of the community are, are, are weak. They're not strong. Big Samoan community there at the fight and a lot of the Samoans would have been you know, following both you and Sonny. Um, and do you feel any obligation to your Polynesian community or, or the Samoan community uh, or do you just well, feel these I, obligations to everybody? I think it's to everybody. I, I feel that to everybody. I mean, to be honest, I mean, but it starts with your community. But I, I feel this to anybody that's being bullied or hurt or whatever. I just... I don't know. I don't know why. It's, like I said, it's, it's probably because I was raised in a house in a in, in, in a in a torn and a broken house, you know, being a broken child myself and having to go through life dealing with my siblings being hurt and not being able to do anything about it. I mean, um, like the last time I, like when we were little, we 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 helped our sister walked out to get out of there, the house, and um, you know, we were we were prepared to fight our father, you know, and I was probably. Yeah, I was six or seven or something, you know, and uh, we, she wanted to get out of there. We were, we were just, you know, uh, trying to help her get out. But we didn't know what was going on. You know, we didn't know if she was getting molested. We didn't know about sex. You know, we were just children, you know. Um, we didn't know these things. Who is Mark Hunt today? I mean, like now, like you told me who you were before, but if you had to describe yourself today. I, I'm I'm a 40-year-old mother that's uh, growing up. I, I see... Um, uh, things differently than I than I did as a kid. I, I see things um, way way differently as a kid that didn't have any any um, you know I didn't have any conscience, didn't have any morals. I just you know you looked at me funny. I'll, I'll punch you in the face. You know I, I was one of those kids, and you know I I see things differently now. Where do you spend your thinking time? Well, I, I just try to you know I've, I've I've done my time as a as a prize fighter. I'm trying to make things. Uh, Chains for sports uh, in 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 my in the martial arts community, you know, equal for the fighters. I'm trying to spend more time with my kids. Um, I want to start doing some sort of businesses, um, and you know, developing all these things. Um, I want to do different things, but um, first off, you know, like I, I have to finish what I started with the, with the, with this lawsuit with the UFC, and then try to make things even for the fighters and move from there. And then just do nothing. I don't even want to be seen anywhere, to be honest. I just want to be, you know. But I, I do want to help my community. Um, as in, um, as in, like, help kids that were like me. You know, maybe open a foundation to help troubled kids. You know, one day I made a Mark Hunt Foundation for kids because I'm, you know, um, with mental health and, and, you know, troubled homes. Yeah, uh, you know, if I get in that, when I get in the position to do that. So. It's funny that um, Nate Hamden come and saw me and he said he want, he has the same sort of thing. Like how do I help kids not become, end up in jail? Yeah. Like particularly his community, like the Lebanese community. Yeah. There's quite a few ex-fighters or blokes who went to jail. I had uh, Russell Manzer sitting here a little while ago said the same thing. I had uh, uh, Graham Henry, Abbo Henry, said here about three weeks ago, same, exactly the same thing. They're, they're all abused in different ways when they were kids yeah. and uh, and they responded a certain way. But now as they're some of those a bit older than you, but like they're in the 50s, but that's not much old, but yeah. they're now thinking how that can they give back? How can they help? And that's it's quite interesting. It's like we don't – people don't think of Mark Hunt or by that for the matter of those guys, ex, you know, jailbirds, like special, especially Graham Henry. <laughs> He's spent most of his life in jail. Yeah. Um, um, they don't expect those dudes to um, – be thinking this way. They think once a criminal, always a criminal. Once a bad bastard, always a bad bastard. And some, some, some find it therapeutic 
to give back, to help. It's sort of therapeutic to help somebody. I think so. I think it, that's you could, yeah, it's therapeutic. But I, but I, yeah, I think you're you're right in that. I think it's just staying on the right path, on the right side, and not going the other way. Um, and there's a lot of other kids that are in the same situation that as you were as a kid that you could help. You know, what I mean, um, along that way. Well, I think you do. I doing. feel you're right. I think that's a, um, whatever it may be, but uh, that's one of the things I've always thought about trying to do. You know. Um, to try and help others, uh, like especially the kids, like I, how I was, to become better members of society instead of a cancer on society. Well, Danny Abdullah, who's the dad whose three of his kids got unfortunately killed in that accident, yes. sat here and he said to me, the reason he runs the forgive campaign, he said, the reason I forgave well, these, this bloke, he said it was for me firstly. Yes. That's, so that what, I, that's what David Tor said. Yeah, so I could be a better dad to my kids that are still here. And my wife and his wife, and now they've just had another baby. But he said, otherwise, I would have gone become a wreck, and yes. I would have been screwing around trying to do bad things. Yes. And it seems to me that forgiveness, or giving back, or doing positive things like you and others are doing, is a in a sort of funny sort of way. It's a selfish thing. It's a way of surviving for you to survive as a better person and and not have sort of getting brain damage from listening to shit all the time, yourself telling yourself shit, you've got to rescue yourself from yourself. Yes. It's amazing what therapy can do or seeing somebody or talking to someone. But but growing up, dude, like it makes a big difference as we grow up. It does. You need it. I I love counselling. I, you know, I had to do, I've been doing it for a while now. I just have to try and help myself to be a better person, you know, Um, and it's it's been working. I I understand a lot of the reasons. you know, she's explained a lot of reasons why I am the way I am. You know, um, yeah. So it's counseling's always it's, it's helped me a lot about seeing these things about these you know um, and how to express emotions. Like me tearing up is like it's I'm not normally that kind of a person to cry, but, but it's, it's good it's, for you. It's, it's good for you. for yeah. me. It's like a healing process, and I'm like, man, I it just it's yeah, it's, it's been great. I mean, I go to counseling, I sit there, and I'm like, man, I just. Uh, and she's, we start talking and then I'm like, man, I was, and I was crying. I'm like, oh, damn it. You know, it's, it's crazy to think, you know, uh, that sense. But I, I, I don't see counselling or, or crying as weak. I see it as something totally. I've got to do to get further. You know, as a kid, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to express emotions and deal with it. That's why it's, it's all been uh, hidden. And built up. Know, and built up and it made me a really angry kid, a person. Look, I can't uh, finish off the podcast without sort of covering off last Saturday. So how much did you weigh before you started your prep to fight Sonny Bill Williams? I was like 157 kilos. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fucking big, man. Like that's, that's even for you. But some of yeah. your frame, that's, oh, man, that's was, giant, okay? Yeah. So, uh, and you've got David Tour to help you out in, in this time? Well, I bought David, yeah. Um, I bought. I went to Thailand to train, but I bought Dave. Uh, like I said, he some is someone I admire. He's one of the greatest boxers that shared the ring with some of the, the well, some great some of the greatest fights. fighters ever. Totally, you know. I've seen him sparring with Evander. You know, there's some of the greatest fighters ever. But we asked David Tour to come help because, like I said, I respect him because he's a man that could have gone that way. Yeah. You know, because of what happened to him. But he stays straight and he's always been straight like this. So, you know, having him here, you know, brings a lot of credibility. I mean, um, just having, having him here, like I, I, I admired him so much. I admire him so much. I mean, even though I, I could call Joseph to come over. but Joseph Parker. I could have, yeah. But, but, you know, I. but like I said, uh, Dave I admire because of 
because it starts on being straight. And who told you he had to get he had to lose some weight? Because I mean, you Ford Gal, you would have been about one hundred and thirty-five kilos, like a lot heavier. Probably two hundred and fifty. Yeah, you were much bigger than you were. <laughs> yeah, I was. I don't know. It was like like I said in those times with the with the Paul Gallon fight. You know, not make the, making excuses. I was like, uh, I was going through a lot of issues. Mark, I remember. Do, well, do I want to? Well, do I want to bring that up in front of this? I mean, you know. You know, well, look, you, I don't think so, but but <laughs> there, but there were issues, and, a lot and, of issues. and it's around the the boxing world. Yeah, and I don't want to open that scab up because it, 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 it affects a lot of people, and you know I don't want to bring up that issue. But um, you know, going through separation, you know, but um, let's not go there because there's, there's well, there's just a couple there. of things. That, I mean, I want to put on the record: you were way overweight. You probably weren't properly prepped. You probably underestimated Gallon a little bit in terms of particularly well, I, his fitness. I give him. Gal credit, like I said, I like him. I give him credit for what he's done afterwards and stuff like that. It's a fighter. Um, end of the day, I, I still, I still felt I rang, I felt I rang his bell. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw but it. At I, the end of the day, um, he won the fight, and that's all that matters. And, and I give him full credit. Yeah, respect. yeah. Well, he's he's a tough carry. He's he's got a big jaw on him, etc. But I mean, what people don't realize, and I'll say it, but I won't say exactly what we're talking about here. But there were some significant issues on at the time around around your mental space, uh, not yeah. in a personal sense, but... Uh, yeah, well, I think if you don't... Well, bring, no, we're not going to go yeah. there, but, like, yes. I can say this. I saw it, yeah. But you got yourself in a much better position Well, I mean... For SBW. Yeah, well, look, f- four years have gone by and I've had two fights in four years. Yeah. You cannot, you know, how can you fault someone that's... You've got to be active. I was ne- never active and I was going through a lot of issues at that time, but... Um, I mean, to be a, a competent fighter, you've got to be active. Yeah. You know, so two fights in four years, come on. We went through COVID at the time. Yeah. We went through a lot of issues, but um, end of the day, it is what it is. You know, I give credit where it's due and Gal won the fight and that's it. But but I know, and I'm pretty sure he'd know that I rang his bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And, so. and, and, and then when you fought Sonny, I mean, totally different. Well, like I didn't a, let him get away. No, well, you, I let Gallon get away. It looked like you were determined not to, for that to happen. You lost a lot of weight. That's the best of, like weight-wise I've seen you for a long time. Can I ask you uh, round weight, uh, around round four, were you, were you starting to feel a bit gassed? Uh, no, um, I was just How warming up. How were you up. feeling? I was warming up. The, uh, round four, I was... He was getting me with a lot of good shots. I think it was the round before, and I was like, Three, yeah. so I was coaxing him in, into into the fight. I said, yeah, you've got me. You know, you you've got me injured. <laughs> you know, I needed to play the part. You know, I I needed to. He, he hit me like four or five times, but you know, I, I I could, I didn't feel, you know, like I said, I didn't feel the the strength. You weren't buzzed or anything like that. No, no. I, I was like, whoa, you know, I was playing that position because I was bringing him into the right. I wanted him to get his confidence. You want to get him in your range too. I wanted to get him the, his confidence up so he can go harder and go yeah. harder. And it looked like that. It looked like so, you sucked him into a, a punch-up. It's called experience, man. Yeah, I know. At the end of the day, um, it takes one shot. When you caught him in the mouth guard, I feel like, what would you say? Think to yourself. Because oh. that is always tells you something when someone's mouth guard falls out when they just hit him. Well, I mean, I, I, I just, like I said, I, I was – Bringing him into into my world, and uh, you know, you got me, got me. Come harder, come harder, and then it takes one shot to make them go under the tax, ta- the gas tank where they can't come back. Yeah, because everyone tries to stay a certain. Their gas tank is here. They try to stay above half. You know, when they're going hard, they get rid of them. As soon as you hit them, they can't come back. Yeah, and that's where he was. Um, at the you end knew of the it. Day. Well, it, it played, well, you've been uh, there many times. You knew it. Yeah. 
And, and, and what do you say? What did you say to him when it was all over? What, when, when you sort of go up and say, "Go on, mate," what do you well, say? I, I, I mean, I respect Sonny. I say, "Keep, you know, keep your head up. Do not go out like this." You know, I want you. You know, I, mean, I didn't say that in this. You know, I say, I, "Yeah, I feel he should come back and fight. You shouldn't let this be his last match." I mean, he, he's he's done a lot for sport and yeah. combat. I mean, and, and even in fighting with all the the hate that he get, I, I don't understand why people hate on him so much. Do they? Do there they? was a lot of hate towards him, and I'm thinking. Well, he's done so much for sport. I mean, end of the day, I think it's a good thing that, that a lot of the ex-footy players are playing uh, are boxing because it's another source of income. Yeah. Why shouldn't they be allowed to fight? Yeah. Well, people like to see how they so, fight to each other anyway. It's yeah, interesting. I, 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 th- I, thought, I thought it was great. I just thought, I, I, I th- like I said, I respect Sonny and what he's done. Um, you know, it was my night that night and that's all it is. You know, keep your head up, you know, move on to the next one. You know, um, that's all you need to do. I mean, the... the what he needs to cope with is is the deal with loss. Yeah. With everyone making fun of you. I've dealt with that so many times. People ridiculing me, you know. I mean, but he's got to understand these people have never done the things that he's done. Yeah. Or walked that path. So they can't throw stones at this person when you're sitting on a couch, you know. But that's how the, the world is these days. Everyone makes fun of those trying to do something. They always make fun of them. They always tear them down. And when they're doing well, they're like, oh, we're your best mate. But when you're losing, they're like, you're tr- trash. Yeah, yeah. So what he what he thinks losing as a, as a, as a fighter, you know, he needs to, to come back stronger and, and not be, you know, like a Ronda Rousey or something and, and quit and run for the hills. Yeah. That's what uh, quitters do. And he's not a quitter. Yeah, well, he's definitely not a quitter. The, I, I, he'd probably be saying to himself too, though, on the flip side is um, – and he would be saying, am I as good as I thought it was? Well, I mean, like like I said, when you think like that, I will, I'll, myself in my mind, I've always thought I've been the greatest, you know, because if I can survive a, a shitty dad that I had, I can cope with any sort of beating and, and, and fighting is affliction. You know, it's all about that, um, about being hurt. I mean, your, your people around you could tell you so much things, that, you know, you're this and that. But I think deep inside your heart, you'll know where you are. So people ask me all the time about this, about being, I said, well, I can't answer your question. That's, that's, that's something you have to answer yourself. When you talk to yourself and look yourself in the mirror, I said, do you have that? Is that you? Is that the do, question do, you would Do you, you love competing? Do you, is, that, is that your thing? Do you love fighting at the top? Do you love being hurt in front of the whole world watching? You know, can you cope with being hurt and continue? Can your mind function at, at that, at under duress, like when you train? You know, or is it just people telling you that you're this and pumping you up all the time? Yes, or is it? I mean, first and foremost, you've got it. You've it's got to be you that 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 because you're the captain of your own ship. You can't blame anyone else for your own mistakes. So a fighter, and what you're saying, I, I some think- of the. Mark, some of the greatest fighters in the world come from fucking poverty, from yeah, nothing. Yeah. So they've got to be really resilient, but they've got to know what a dark place is like. Well, they've got to know what it's like being hurt and, and being able to think, you know. I mean, I understand about when you're getting caught and the lights go out and they never come back on until you, you know, wake up. Yep. Until you wake But there's also being hit and you can see what's going on and then, and then calculating and thinking, functioning. Yeah, to be able to work through that. That comes with experience and time. So, I mean, he's... He's only had 10 fights. He's nine fights in, 10 fights yeah. in. So, I mean, look, I mean, it's the same thing, what, you know, with, with the other experience or, or newers. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, 
Yeah. So I mean, he's got, uh, like I said, great character. I think. I think a he's lot got of good people, management. He's, a lot of people follow yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong. So I don't see why he shouldn't fight Paul Allen. I can't. Those guys fight. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, I would have thought that's going to be on. I for mean, sure. Sharks. At the end of the day, I mean, Sharks. I mean, um, Gallon went three rounds with with um, the AFL guy. You know, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then you know, and then he went three rounds with him, and then Sonny Bill put him out in the first round. Yeah, you know, why don't those? Uh, oh, it makes sense to me. That, that yeah, why don't they? Why don't they make that fight? You know, um, Sonny Bill Williams and and Paul Gallon. It's been on for ages. They just keep talking. Why don't you just take fifty fifty each and rumble? Yeah, yeah. So we can just squash it. That'd, that'd be, a great, be, a, be a great, be a great night. It'll be something we can all enjoy and go, wow. So this is what the result would have been if we were, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know. It'll be a great match and I think that should happen. And I reckon, Mark, if the uh, – whoever televises it, like if it's Stan or whatever, yeah. if they don't get Mark Hunt on there to commentate, they're off the head. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm out of the business entirely. I Especially I don't with, – with boxing fans, Jamal's, ah. Oh. But I think that fight should happen. I think that will be a great match. And I think those guys should be uh, – I think that should be the next match after, you know, uh, Justin Hodges and Paul Gillen fight. Yeah. I think that should be early next year. I think that would be great, yeah. man. Whoever's if – you, if you get to watch this, put that fight on. You know, as you know well, Gal will do it no matter what. He'll, well, you he'll, know, I, he'll, he'll I definitely think fight. they should just, you know, make it a, an even split and just yeah. just go to war. You know, yeah. let's, it'll, be, it'll be such an amazing event. I think it will sell it. Oh, yeah. It will be somewhere amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll yeah, I'm too. That's sort of fight I watch. Yeah. Well, mate, I'm going to close it down. It's uh, been fantastic because you and I are going to go make a phone call. Oh, shit. I, yeah. We, okay, we, we won't say who it is, but oh, you and I are going to make a phone okay, call. Yeah. So, but, but Mark, it's been a real pleasure having you here. But I, I, I think the thing that comes out of all this for me, everybody who watches you, who you entertain for a long, long time, whether it's in UFC, MMA, kickboxing, or boxing. Everybody would like to say thank you, Mark Hunt, for everything you've done for the combat sports in the world for Australia. But probably more importantly, after today, thanks very much for your honesty and being a good dude and looking after people and and yeah. stopping the bullies. Yeah, appreciate it, man. I'm always thanks for having the podcast and you know always learning and growing and trying to be better, trying to be better than my father was always. Well, I reckon you're killing it. Yeah. Oh. All right, I do. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 